There was another reason that I chose Luke to read from as we, we share communion um, this evening. Um, kind of want to, I, I, first of all, you know, I love the way that Luke combines that imagery of the manger with the reality um, of Jesus being our, our daily bread. But, but there's a second reason um, that I use the gospel of Luke for communion and, and kind of as a, a springboard for my message this evening, very, very short little message here. Um, now, at first glance, as I, as I start going here, you're going to think, and I'm just, just kind of warning you here, wow, what a lousy Christmas message. But just don't hang on that thought for too long. Just kind of, just, just know it's going to get better. It's going to be redeemed because we're at church, right? Okay. Um, but I got to start this way because it forces us to make room, right, for the miracle that is Christmas, the, the good news that will redeem a lousy Christmas message, right? If we haven't really made room, then I, pretty much everything I'm about to say is just going to go right over our heads. It's, you know, our thoughts are on tomorrow morning. They're on grandchildren and presents, and, and, and I, I get that, and that, that's all, that's fantastic, and I'm not, I'm not putting that down um, at all, but, but I want to, I, I choose this place that I'm going to start our Christmas Eve message um, as a lousy Christmas message, um, again, in order for us to really make room for what I'm going to share in just a moment. So I'm going, to, I'm going to start off where we left off while we shared communion, and I'm going to repeat a couple of the verses, and then I'm going to ask you to, to, to notice something, right? Um, so I was reading Luke 22, uh, verse 19, um, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and this is nearly identical to Paul's letter that I would normally have read. Um, his first letter to the Corinthian church, and it's nearly identical to Matthew and Mark's account. Um, John doesn't have an account of the Last Supper, per se. Um, and, then we, and then we read this in verse 20. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And you would next expect the words, the same words that we read in Matthew, that we read in Mark, and we read in Paul, but they're not here. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, Paul, Matthew, Mark, they all in their accounts, and, and then Matthew and Mark, they have the whole group sing a hymn, and they, they all head out for the Garden of Gethsemane, and you, you know what happens there. Um, but in Luke, in the very, very next verse, it's like Luke is, is trying to say something in his gospel um, that what I'm about to read is happening during the most important, the most important moment in Jesus' life, maybe. maybe. Maybe on the cross is more important, but the most important speech he's ever going to make, right? Right in the midst of it, we read this. Instead of do this in remembrance of me, and then they sing a hymn, and they all go, I go out. But the hand to him who is going to betray me is with mine, and I read this again, but the hand, and I love this, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. And in my mind, immediately, every hand on the table went, whoa, what you talking about? My hands aren't on the table. I've got things. Hey, who, where's the wine? Where's the, you know, my hands aren't anywhere on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And he continues, verse 23, 24, they begin to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do such a thing. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest, right? So just kind of put, put yourself in Jesus' position. He's just, he's just laid himself out there literally, and immediately they're, 
right? Like he's not even, he's not even done talking and they're already, hey, so who gets to be at his right hand? Who gets to be at his left hand, right? Can I be, you know, and there's just this jockeying for position, this, 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 this prideful greed in their lives that they, they clearly, they clearly, at the moment, that, but the night before Jesus is crucified, he, they don't have a clue. They're just, they're just kind of clueless. Um, but this is the reality, and again, a lousy start to a Christmas marriage, Pastor. Way to go. Um, but here's the reality. This, if we're honest, this passage has visited our houses and our places of work this year, if not this season, right? Just really jockeying for position. Who's right? Who's wrong? Whose rights are going to be violated? Who? And, and we've just really worked ourselves up, right? In the midst of the season, we've got ourselves so worked up about that they're important things. I mean, that's why we're all so worked up about them. Okay, you know, I get it. I'm, I'm... But in light of Christ, really? In light of our Savior? But let's save the suspense. It's Christmas Eve. I know everybody wants to get home. Uh, save the presents. Save the, save the suspense for the presents. Um, here, here's, here's the good news. All is not lost, right? Everyone, all is not lost, right? In Christ Jesus, God is making everything new again. Everything new again. And, and absolutely crucial to that statement is that little phrase, in Christ Jesus. Because without that phrase, it's all, it doesn't work. It just, it just falls apart. But in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, right, God is making everything new. Listen to this. This is from the Apostle Paul writing to, to Titus. Um, and we, again, we had this read earlier. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Right? Only in Christ Jesus, that phrase, only in Christ Jesus has the grace of God appeared for all people everywhere. I mean, during this time, there were lots of religious ideas floating around, lots of crazy ideas, and most of them were very elitist, right? You either had to be super, super religion, religious, super, super smart, or super, super the right blood, or super, super whatever, right? It was very, at all levels, just incredibly elitist. A lot of people got left out of a lot of these religious ideas, but in Christ Jesus, in fact, this is the whole point of Paul's letter to Titus. In Christ Jesus, that's not the way it works. That's not, sal- that's not the Lord's salvation, right? That's false salvation, but not the Lord's salvation. This Savior, born in a manger to a peasant girl, far from the halls of power and privilege, right? this king is going to be different. Let me keep reading verse 12. It says, it teaches us to say no to ungodly ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. And, and, and I want you to first notice that word, it, okay? Y'all notice it's easy to kind of to fill it in with our, in our minds. Um, it's not a list of do's and don'ts, right? It is not a religious creed. It's not a religious anything like that. It is not our willpower. <laughs> You're going, thank you, because my willpower stinks. It is Jesus Christ, it's not a religion. It's not a creed. It's, not, it, it, it's a person. It is a person. It's Jesus Christ who transforms our lives from the inside out. But from the get-go, I need you to also notice this, that the transformation has two components, right? Two components. You'll notice the and also there, right? The first half, if you do only the first half, you're going to be angry and frustrated, right? I'll just tell you right now, anybody trying to stop bad habits, 
you don't want to be around them, right? Just take a vacation, leave for a while, because anybody trying to into a bad habit is miserable to be around because they got no joy in their life, right? Because they have found joy in their life from that thing that they are trying to stop, and now they got no joy, which leads us to the second part. You got to find some joy to, to, to take the place of that negative that you now, or what do I do with myself now? Normally, I would have a smoke. Normally, I would have a drink. Normally, I would, I would do all these and that. Well, what do I do now? What do I do now? I need happiness. I need joy. Paul's so brilliant. He says, you can't just get rid of the bad stuff. That's not really being true to the message of Jesus Christ, right? We were saved from this in order to do something amazing to join him in his mission. So all the no's, they got to be replaced with a whole bunch of really good yeses. And it's only at this point that real joy is experienced, right? This is where, remember a couple weeks ago, metanoia, right? A completely transformed life. That's when that kicks in, right? Even now, as we wait for heaven, let me continue reading verse 13. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And again, notice the two components of the redemption process. But more importantly, I want you to notice this. This is, this is huge. The driving force behind both is not us. Again, it's not our willpower. It's not our intellect. It's not our religiosity. It's not our piety. It's not any of that stuff. The driving force, the engine, the, the, the steam behind all of this transformation is, is Jesus Christ. When we're in Jesus Christ, right? When we are filled with him, that's when these things start to happen. You try to do it without Jesus Christ, and again, frustrated and angry. Nobody's going to want to hang around you. Just tell you that right now. <sighs> Let me shift gears just a little bit here. Doing what is good and right, biblically speaking, um, is called living in the light, Right? You read through the Old Testament into the New Testament, this idea of being in darkness is, or walking the crooked path, uh, those, are, those are Hebrew ways of saying that you're walking away from the life. You're walking away from God, which is the life. But when you walk a straight path and when you walk in light, you're walking toward life. You're walking toward the author of life, right? That makes sense. Um, Patty Lingle reminded us earlier as we lit the Christ candle that Jesus is the light of the world. Um, but here's the amazing part, Here, and it gets me every single time, and I sometimes don't comprehend it, and I, and I struggle with it just a little bit, and I know a lot of other people look at Christians, and, and I know why they struggle with it. <laughs> Jesus turns around and calls us to be the light of the world. He calls us to be what he is. It's like, what? We're the light of the world? <laughs> like everybody around, around and people I know are just dark. <laughs> but no, he says, but when we're filled with his spirit, we... We become light. We become truth to people. They, they see the way we live our lives, and, and, and they immediately conclude that that's different than the way more, most people I know, the way they live their lives. That's a beautiful way to live life. I want to live life like that. I want to live in that kind of light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 says this through 15. That says that wrong. You are a light on the hill of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this evening, at this Christmas Eve candlelight service, as we, as we shine the light of the love of Jesus, 
as we do that, Christmas rapidly moves from really a time of superficial display and, and, and greedy materialism. I hate to bring out that tripe. Um, moves it from that to one of incredibly deep and abiding belief, right? Belief that God has revealed the way to a lost and broken world that superficiality and greed can never, ever reveal. And we chase after those things. We chase after them hoping that they will make us happy and reveal true life for us, and they don't. When we shine the light of the love of Jesus, we give people a Christmas, not of superficiality and greed, but we, we give them a Christmas to believe in. That's our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to give people a Christmas to believe in. Damn.